This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. My guest today is James Yeager. If you don't know who James Yeager is, just type his name into the search bar, type tactical response into the search bar, and a lot will come up. He's a former police officer who ran security details in Iraq and was caught in an ambush on Route Irish, which we discuss in detail in this podcast. He's also the owner, operator, founder of Tactical Response. I've trained with him on the range. I've learned a ton. He has a huge heart, an amazing guy, and I wish I could find the video for this podcast. Uh, Right now it is just audio, but uh, if I ever find the video card, I'll re-release this thing with the video. So now, without further ado, James Yeager. I am here today with my dear friend, James Yeager. And I haven't decided whether to kick this off by talking about, uh, just by thanking you, um, or waiting till the end. And I think I'll probably do a little (laughs) bit of both here because, uh, and we'll get into it here in a little bit, but, uh, you were the first person to, uh, really get the word out about my first novel, the terminal list. And you have such a dedicated group and engaged group of people that, uh, that follow you and that train with you. Uh, so for you to say that, that really kicked off the first novel in a way that uh, that most people's don't get kicked off. And I just I sincerely appreciate it. It's it's, it's no problem. And um, and it's funny because, I mean, the book was good. If it would have sucked, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and, and everybody, you know, listening can can kind of identify with when you have friends if you can, if you can do your friend a favor, you do the favor. There's no, there's no real thought of it, you know, you know, you just do it just like you do. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, knowing, you know, what you, what you expressed to me was, Hey, I'm getting out and I would like to really have a job or I could stay at home and help take care of my family and writing, you said, and writing is something I can do, which has turned out to be a complete lie. You're on the road all the time. <laughs> but, Before uh, COVID, COVID's but, really helped out with being able to but, stay home. But uh, but I thought, okay, he's got he's got a plan. He wants to do this. I can if if it's a good book, especially I can help him sell a few copies and maybe you know maybe we make that plan work out. I wouldn't even say a dream, but make that plan uh, happen for him. And 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 so I while I do appreciate the recognition, I mean that you would have done it for me. Well, for sure I would have done it for you, but uh, you did it for me. You just happened to do it for me. <laughs> okay, okay. And, uh, and I remember you telling me, you explained to me all about internet and engagements and reviews, and I had no idea about any of this so, stuff and listen, social media. So, so what these people need to understand <laughs> is that he was a SEAL, knows all the SEAL stuff, all the SEAL gadgets and all that James Bond <laughs> stuff, all that he's got. Cell phone escapes him. <laughs> smartphone he, like, he was like where's the flippy one with the numbers on it i can and uh so when uh when he got into all this it was and it's still uh, even today watching him set this uh my, my first podcast <laughs> i think this is the school, easiest one too to, uh, to set up nah, but it, it's it, it's it's fun and and usually when guys you know retire they're gonna go fish and <laughs> they're, they're not gonna learn a new you're, this is tradecraft that's it you know Damn. and so I can only imagine on top of the writing, because after you make that first successful book, like everybody, when they found out I was coming here, said, ask him when book four is coming out. All right. right. You know, and so, uh, so now you have this thing, probably 
for somebody that takes it as seriously as you, that is just as demanding as being a SEAL. Yeah. Yeah, it's just different. I mean, it's uh, I just go all in. No matter what I do, you know, I just go all in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, much to my wife's chagrin yeah. out there, who's outside these doors right now. The but unsung I don't know hero. How to, exactly. I just don't know how to not go all in on something. And both these things were dreams, both writing and being a seal. Mm-hmm. And so I went all in on all of them. But one thing you told me when I first started down this path that really helped, uh, and I passed it along to a, a ton of different people, was the advice you gave me on reviews. Mm-hmm. And people say, you know, don't look at your reviews. Other authors say that, but it's impossible not to look at right. those things. Um, but you were like, hey, it doesn't matter if it's a good review or a bad review. It's that engagement on there. It's mm-hmm. people talking about it. Like, and I, I took that to heart. And so I, every time I see a bad review on Amazon, mm-hmm. and usually they're talking about how you know it's too right wing or right. it's too violent right. or you know there's too many product placement stuff yeah. in there or whatever. But uh, to the person that wants to know what kind of boot I right. wore or what kind of weapon and, I and carry, and all of our people want to like know that. exactly. So the person that's saying what they don't like to somebody else reading that, it's like. Wow, I'm gonna like this book because this of the re- same reasons this person gave it a one star. If there are no, if there's no friction, there's no fire. Uh, that's I, good stuff. No, I promise. Like, I, I, like, like, uh, like people on the, my YouTube videos, they thumbs up and thumbs down. They don't understand that if they're all thumbs up, it doesn't go high into the search analytics. Oh, interesting. The machine doesn't uh, make doesn't call it like viral unless it's turbulence. Interesting. See, I like that. And I pass it on to, to people. Like, don't get too down on your reviews. And I pass that on. And it really helps a lot of, a well, lot of people. Well, it's a, the old Better Business Bureau thing. If somebody likes your product or service, they tell one or two people. If they hate it, they tell eight. Ah, interesting. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I, dude, I have built my career and my company off hate. I, I definitely I want to get to that. But let's back up. Let's back <laughs> up because I'm so interested in it. And this gives me an opportunity actually to ask you a lot of questions that I've never asked you before. So yeah, did you grow up in, in Tennessee? Where did yeah. you grow up? Mm-hmm. Okay. T- t- Tennessee's home. I uh, I mean, I'll just start talking. You tell me where to shut up. Yeah. I grew up poor. And I mean, like I stood in the government cheese line as a kid and a uh, single mom and she worked real hard, but she was a single mom. And, uh, and I didn't do well in school. Turns out that, uh, I have real attention deficit disorder and I have a 143 IQ and those two things together, uh, don't do well in public school. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and so, uh, I did, I did fine until I was a uh, 12 or 13 testosterone kicks in. You, you think you're a man and, you know, and then by the time I was 16, I got sent off to a boy's school, got in trouble truancy and, you know, just being a general butthole. Um, and, uh, actually I, f- I flourished there. It was like a, it wasn't, it wasn't like a prison. It was like a, more like a college campus. There was no fence or anything. And that's where I kind of positive male role models. And that's kind of where, what turned my life around. No kidding. And mm-hmm. then, and is it while you were there that you decided to get into to law enforcement or tactical shooting or how did that progress? Well, so when I was, um, 16, uh, and I was still in my butthole phase, I, uh, I've always been a motorcycle guy, still ride bikes now. And I, uh, left Turner almost killed me. I went over the car. Yeah. And you know, 16 got up, dusted myself off. I'm fine. You know, but, uh, but there was a cop, um, that worked the accident, took me home and I didn't realize, I didn't realize it till I was a cop, but he sat in my driveway talking to me for about two hours and shagging, shagging calls. And that's a police term for like putting calls on somebody else when someone okay. would come out. And I didn't realize what he's doing, but he was, he was uh, stalling so he could talk to me longer. And that was uh, one of those um, pivotal moments in my life. There've been a few and that I can point to, and that was a pivotal moment in my life when I thought 
all right, this this might suit me. And uh, so that eventually that was the path I went down. No kidding. How long did it take you to graduate from that school and then go right into law enforcement? Well, you can't, you can't be a cop when you're 18. So I kind of worked construction and stuff like that. Then uh, uh, January 20th of 1992, I was 21. And that's when I went into police work. Okay. Got it. Right in Tennessee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a, was it a police department or sheriff's department? So I worked uh, four years uh, undercover uh, buying and selling drugs and uh, made uh, over 3,000 felony dope cases Dang. in that time. And I did that for four full years. And it, it's kind of funny. This is when people say, how did you meet your wife? I said, oh, I met her while I was working undercover. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Ice. I did, but I wasn't on the job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was just during that time. But I just say, I met her once working undercover. And I just continue, <laughs> yeah, you know, like that, and yeah. my wife's like, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, anyway, then I came out of, uh, out of undercover work in 1996 and did patrol and SWAT and Really? And did they grab you right in undercover work because you looked young? I I was young. I had a killer mullet. Nice. You know, but I I grew up, you know, quote unquote, on the wrong side of the tracks. And, uh, but uh, somewhere along the way, I I became a fairly moral, fairly ethical person. And uh, I'd never really gotten any real trouble, just truancy and things like that. Never gotten any real trouble in my life. And they were like, and I expressed an interest. Uh, with uh, in front of a, a guy I didn't know was a cop, and he said, "Come talk to me." And so I started working for the the uh, drug task force. Tennessee has different clusters of counties okay. that form drug task force. And, and so, when you're undercover doing these buys, uh, are you armed, or do you have people around you that are armed watching? You no, for no, it, it, you're pretty much by yourself. Oh, I mean, wow. I'm wearing a wire, but but this is back then. It just recorded to my person. Like it wasn't like to a cassette, mini cassette, yeah, or something? yeah, like almost like a micro, Mr. Microphone taped <laughs> to my chest, almost. I mean, okay. look back now to the early '90s, the technology, uh-huh. but um, but so nobody could hear me or see me. Oh wow! You okay, know. so you're out there on your own, yeah, you're hanging it out. And actually, I, I, there's a picture of it. I, and I, I probably have it on my phone, but my wife with me. Uh, and what I would do is I'd get uh, jobs as bouncer in bars, and they gave me an excuse to be at bars and clubs all the time, okay. but not drinking, but be there all the time. Like, And so I, that's how I kind of worked my way into the different things. Or if I had trouble, if I was in a new town, I would get arrested and stay in jail for three or four days, and then Dang. they would put me in They would put me in the right cells with the right people, and you know, wow. the instant credibility, yeah, yeah. you know. Oh, that's wild. And then when you were doing those those buys, what did you carry at the time? Uh, so I had a, uh, again, the picture, my wife's arm around me, and you can see the clip of the of a, of a holster in the front of my, the people started carrying appendix. And, and I'd been doing that since the 90s, and I didn't know wow. it had a name. <laughs> I thought it was just sticking a gun in front of my pants. But I had figured out that when people, you know, hug you and stuff, uh-huh. that was the place that would, they would least likely Interesting. Had a gun. I wore a pistol on my hip, just like I do now. But uh-huh. when I worked in the care, I carried a Charter Arms, thirty-eight. With I didn't, I couldn't carry a cop bullet. But Corbon made the old FBI round, the hundred fifty-eight grain plus P plus lead hollow okay. point, and that's what I carried in the gun, so it didn't look like cop bullets. Okay, what's Charter Arms? Are they still around? I think so. They were, they were, you know, I was a poor cop, so not. It was certainly wasn't a. So you had to buy that one. That was yeah, not yeah. issue. Yeah. Right. No kidding. Okay. What was your issue back then? Um, so first issue was 23, Glock 23. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Man. And then, so you did that and then moved on in patrol. So you're K- in uniform. K- 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 K-9 handler and then oh, SWAT nice. stuff and all that. 
Okay. And then when, when did you transition out of that? Uh, so I did it full time from 2000, from 92 to 2002. And, and, wow. and from, from 96 to 2002, I got fired from two different departments. <laughs> I've, I've never been written up ever. I've never been suspended and I've never been sued, but I, I'm not politically correct. And, um, so like the, and so I was just like, you know, the first time you get fired, it's like, man, screw them. And then, you know, if you get fired multiple times, it's like, maybe it's me. <laughs> wow. so i so i had started tactical response so yeah so, you started it while you were still yeah, at the yeah. police department so here's okay so tarantino all this story we go back in time <laughs> so i bought my first pistol when i was 18 and i started shooting ipsc or uspsa okay and then i became a cop 92 and i got to take and i'd never but i didn't have any training and I would read gun magazines like Gunsight, and you know, but that was an unattainable thing for me at my poverty level. Uh, but um, uh, but I took all kinds of police classes in those four years I was undercover, like FBI SWAT school and you know, all kinds of shooting schools and all yes. kinds of stuff by a bunch of really good instructors. Did they bring outside instructors in for those, or did they have in house? Like when police, guys. like when a police class is going on, they'll put it out like on the quote unquote teletype. Like, hey, this department's hosting this class. Okay. And so when you work undercover, you you uh, you always work on the weekend. Like Friday, like Friday and Saturday, period, hundred percent, you're working. Yeah. But but nobody nobody buys dope on Monday, apparently. <laughs> so so Monday through Thursday, I could pretty much okay. do whatever I wanted to. And then so in '96, Tennessee got carry permits, and I started doing carry permits to supplement my police income. And so it's kind of like the old, there was an old counter drug commercial back in the day. This guy sitting at a desk and he was like, well, I do cocaine so I can work longer hours so I can make more money so I can buy more cocaine, you know? <laughs> so it's, it was kind of like that. Like my wife got my meager police check so to pay our bills and buy the groceries. But if I wanted to go take a class or ammo or yeah. gun, I had to have a side job. And, and so that was my side hack back in the day. And that became, that got on the internet in 1998. And I did my first class for twenty five bucks, and a hundred people showed up. I didn't no have any way. way. I didn't have any way to register people or anything. Uh-huh. I just had to just show up, and and that was tactical <laughs> response, like a first yeah, class. Yeah, no kidding. And that's in Tennessee. Yeah, near where you are now. Yeah, mm-hmm. same type, same range, or not the same range, but the same county. No kidding. And then you said, you, what did you think then? You said, okay, there's a market for this. Well, I, I did it a few years, and and my wife uh, in ninety nine or two thousand. My wife's doing her taxes and stuff. She says, you know, you make more money part-time than you do full-time, which did take months, right? <laughs> and I went, yeah, but I'm a cop, though. It's yeah. It was, you know, it's one of those ego investment jobs, just like being a SEAL. Yeah, yeah. Like when you, you know, when you separate from that, there's a, there's a, like a chunk mm-hmm. missing somewhere. And, uh, but, you know, I was a cop and then, then I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And when you, when, uh, when you were training up until that, your first class and before starting tactical response, um, was it all those FBI classes and police classes or did you do it, anything with, uh, just, with anybody else? It just, it's just the one, the one FBI class, but, uh, like, um, the first, my first, uh, civilian class uh-huh. was in 96 and it was Andy Stanford. Oh yeah. And in the book. Yeah. He's crazy. He sent me the book on the deployment. Yeah. Yeah. Which is up there on the shelf. Yeah. Right there. Gosh, what year yeah. was that? That you sent me that book? You sent that to me. Is, are these in alphabetical order? Um, nope. Because <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> That's me on the cover. I didn't sign it like anything. Sharp, I don't know. Like, like you crazy seals should learn how to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So that's you on the cover. And that's, uh, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, you sent me that when I was in the, the Philippines. 
Um, and I was had a, had a little time on my hands to to shoot out there, and you sent me a bunch of stuff. That was awesome. I sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was super cool. But yeah, but he was the first guy, first civilian class I took, and he was he. I, I credit him with letting me off my leash. Okay. Because in police schools, things are structured, unload your gun. Don't, you know, can't walk around here with a loaded gun. He yeah. was like, oh, I'll load your gun. Just don't point it at me. And, nice. You know, keep it in the holster and we're fine. And and I was like, oh, okay. You can treat people like adults here. And, you know, because even when I shot USPSA, even though you had to unload your gun every time, they was still treated you like an adult with a gun. Yeah. But in police ranges, they treat you like a child with a gun. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Marine ranges. Sorry. <laughs> Marines watching. They yeah. know. They know. <laughs> and, uh, and um anyway so i was like oh well, this is this is great so like it was real that was another kind of fork in the road for me where i can point to something that changed the direction of my life from that class yeah that, okay i can do this i have a talent for this well he, it, basically what he t- told me was those four safety rules empower you not impede you nice i like it I like, well, they work tactically as well. If you think about them in a tactical sense. No, they, if you shoot yourself in a gunfight, it still counts. <laughs> good point. Good point. It's like getting a score for the other team though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Uh, and then, so in 2002, you go full-time tactical response. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And yeah. you're running it's, courses in it, Tennessee only, or are you on the road? Uh, well, I mean, I've always been on the road okay. when, when I was policing, how I kind of, how I kind of got the start was the way our shift worked every month I had a Friday, Saturday and Sunday off mm-hmm. and I had seven days in a row off. Okay. It was a crazy schedule. And there was a, a way where I could use three of my comp days somewhere in the middle and I could get 14 days off in a row. So oh, wow. I started saving up all my comp time and using it strategically home classes. I taught on the long weekend away classes. I taught on the seven days off. Okay. And that's how I no kidding. And then, uh, and then that starts taking off. Yeah, I pretty mean, much right away. Yeah, it it. I, I mean, <laughs> knock on wood. I, every year I've had more students than the year before. Every single year. That's awesome, amazing. And then when, uh, so at some point in this timeline here, you decide to go and start doing some contracting. Mm-hmm. And so when was that? So you, you know, in the training world, it's a relatively small group of people, you know, in there, and your name gets around, and you train a bunch of folks. And over the years, you know, I've trained SEALs and SF guys and all kinds of guys. And then, um, you know, when when they start needing bodies, they're like, "Hey, I wonder who we can call. Hey, I wonder if Jaeger knows people, or Jaeger wants to come." And that's kind of how that thing happened. And some some people I trained were like, "Hey, won't you come over here and hang out?" And that's kind of how all that unfolded, you know, getting the invite, so to speak. Okay. And how long, how many deployments did you, or how long did you contract? So, so from, um, from uh, April of 2004 till June, 2005. Okay. So with the same company? Shirt swaps. Yeah. So in, in contracting, so you've got a contract and you're wearing a blue shirt and then the red shirt people buy the contract and oh. they come in and they hand you red shirts and you put a red shirt on. Okay. Doing the same thing, yeah. just kind of for somebody else. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And that's when contracting was like big. big. People yeah, yeah. were leaving the SEAL teams. Yeah. A lot of people don't, well, if you're in the SEAL teams or in the military, you know, but uh, <laughs> if you weren't, you can, it doesn't really make any sense. If you like, you left the SEAL teams in 2003, 4, 5, 6 because you were upset that you were going to go to Colombia, the Philippines, even Europe, wherever, and you were going to miss the fight. So a lot of guys got out, those E4, 5, 6s that were like, oh, I got to get to this fight. I'm going to miss this war. And they got out to contract. Uh, That's crazy. They, yeah. And the money was pretty good. So that yep. was in, enticing yep. Yep. back then as well for people. Um, and then they went over and some of them 
you know, got into it and then some of them didn't and tried to get back in the SEAL teams or back into SF or wherever they came from. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a big pull for I, people. I told folks don't trade a, a career for a job. Oh, that's good advice. Yeah, it okay. looks, it looks enticing, but if you add up, I told guys in the military, if you add up all your stuff, okay, you got your paycheck, but you know, your college and all the other opportunities, I said, it's not that much different and you got no support, none. Good point. Good point. When you, yeah, no, exactly. And a lot of guys figured that out um, mm-hmm. after a few deployments and, and tried to come back or they tried to do something else. So they could be around their family a little more. And I think a lot of guys figured that out. And of course, today it's not what it was during that, that heyday. For period. now, for now it's not. Yeah. It could always come you know, <laughs> well, always I mean, on the horizon. The, well, the thing is, is it works so well in Iraq and Afghanistan. It will always be that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, they're, they're talking about it all the time and, and, you know, private companies, no matter what industry, always do things a little more effectively and efficiently than the federal yeah. government. Yeah. Like, uh, like a lot of people are open arms about private prisons. They do it cheaper than the government can and better. Yep. No, exactly. I've read a lot about that and, uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, pretty much any, everything <laughs> that you can point to that the government does private sector can do more yeah. effectively and efficiently because there's incentive to do so. Obviously. I'm going to have some delicious black rifle. Coffee. You do it. <laughs> you do it. That's good stuff right there. That's powering me through both these things, <laughs> the kill cliff CBD and that, uh, black rifle coffee, mo- coffee, mocha espresso is powering me through the fourth book. Well, you know, people are going to ask what I'm drinking. So, you know, <laughs> you know, just like your book, you know, and, uh, I think I sent you the video where I, you know, the the Winkler tomahawks. That where I hit that pig with one. Did you? Oh, you told me about it, but yeah, I, I didn't I, see the video. I, I have a video. Of, people laugh at me because I'm it's wounded and I'm trying to get in close to finish it with oh, that nice. that thing. And, and it's got some long tusks on yeah, it. Yeah. And it keeps jumping at me. And I kind of oh, jump dang. around and say I was skipping. They say you're skipping like a little girl. Yeah, no, you texted it to me, but I never. You texted me that, but then I never got the video. I want to check it out for sure. And uh, so, in the contracting side of the house, like how long were you over there? Um, how before the round Irish, uh, event happened. Um, so that happened in, um, that was April 20th. So a year, April 20th, 2005, 2005. Okay. And, uh, and how, so how you've been over there for how long again? Well, that was, that would have been right at a year. That would have been at a year. You were over there for a full year. Oh, you mean without coming home? Yep. No, yeah. No, we, we'd come home like 90, 30. Okay. Okay. So you're over there for three months, come home for a month, mm-hmm. back over there again. And was it, was most of the time doing that? That run, that route Irish? A lot run. of it. A lot of it. So basically, we protected the eight Iraqi election commissioners just okay. before the election. And so uh, for anybody listening, if you sp- split Iraq into eight states, these were the most politically powerful people from each state. So if if Iraq had governors, these were the governors. Got it. And so a bunch of th- nonsense. But anyway, um, so – we had to help them facilitate the uh, the election, so we would, uh, you know, um, Russian or UN MI8 to to Erbil, and then you know Blackhawk to Basra, and you know RC-130 to Basra, or whatever, you know, and taking them to the different each one of them to, and there were men and women and Shia and Sunni. Oh, uh, what a mess! And Did so you have we, advanced teams for that as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were lucky because we were pretty high tiered as far as the, uh, military assets so we got you know instead of having to drive a lot of places we got to ride in planes and military is nice, nice enough for us riding a blackhawk and everything like that okay. occasionally you know and but but that's what we did we would carry uh um so a million dollars in u.s 100 dollar bills weighs 28 pounds wow 
I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna write that down for a book. <laughs> we carried a bunch. Dang. What is that? How how what does that look like physically? Yeah, it's about uh, big as that pelican case. So you know. Okay. Yeah, because large yeah. suitcase type. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Dang. Yeah. Okay. And um, and uh, and and sat phones. We would carry duffel bags of money and sat phones to the meeting, and then our our client would go into a room with the people and I'm sure what he was doing was taking his split because as soon as the elections were over all of them flew to Switzerland oh jeez crazy <laughs> like the like the the, the uh, US gave them gave the Iraqis 47 million to do the election and then they all stole that and said that was the Iraqi people's money and then the Britain and the UN paid it the second time oh I mean the amount of money not not just what we've lost in people and treasure and everything else, but those types of just things that you can actually point to. Yeah. Like this cash went yeah. to this person and then disappeared yeah. and didn't do what we intended it to do. I wonder how much that adds up to. That's just oh gosh, crazy. fortunes yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, because you weren't the only people doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Wild. Ugh. So you're doing those runs. You're doing. You're flying to these different uh, different provinces, doing those meetings, coming back, and then doing the route Irish run. Um, what vehicles did you guys? We, we, had, we had a mix of uh, hard cars and soft cars, okay. uh, unless somebody locks the keys in a Toyota Supercruiser that's armored, mm. then it's it's probably still sitting where it was. Oh, jeez. How do you get the keys out of an armored car? <laughs> that's pretty good. I got to put that in a book, too. That's great. I'm getting, I'm, this is, but this we'll, is working we'll, out for when me. When we get off here, I'll send you some, I'll send you some notes, that's, man. I love that. Those are great for conversations <laughs> as far as character development, you know, for, for people. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I love that. So, I, I, I got a book in my head, so I'll let you use some of them. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. Just give me what you what you can get out there, that I can get out there and, and use, and that'd be amazing. That's wild. But uh you so yeah. No, here's, we'll here's what we'll do. We'll figure out one, like the keys locked in. Yeah. And you use it first. Then I'll <laughs> use it, and then everybody tell say I stole that. From <laughs> <me>. <laughs> I'll put it in the acknowledgments for sure. No, <laughs> no, make it clear. No, no, no. I, I, I would do that on purpose. Oh, there hey, you go. You get the thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs yeah, down. yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Gosh, you're smart at this. You gotta, you gotta lay traps. You got this down. You gotta lay traps. <laughs> love it, love it. So uh, the soft skin vehicle. So you did. Soft skin vehicles sometimes to blend in more, or was it just? I, I think the company the company was a cheapskate, really. But um, like the the ambush, the the problem I have with the ambush is this: three dudes died that day, and everybody just knows my name, yeah, because they won't throw rocks at me. But um, if they really if they really cared about what happened, they would know those dudes' names. Yeah, and one of them was an American named Jay Hunt, was a great friend of mine, former Army Ranger. And Native American, Lumbee Indian, and what a great human being. And uh, would you like to hear something about Jay? Or Yeah, yeah. So when I first got there, Jay um, came out to the car, and he had a small bundle of sage, and it was burning like incense, and he was saying a chant. And I was like, uh, you know, typical dude. Like, hey, man, what are you doing? What's this all about? And he's like, and he says, something I do, you know, I pray for my people and it keeps us safe. And he says, I've never lost anybody and, you know, it's all good. So for, for a year, he did that. N- never wow. a problem. The morning of the ambush, our team was essentially two teams. There were 25 of us, uh, 12 Americans, 13 Brits, and we just tried to operate independently. We didn't get along well. But the other team had uh, two people Anyway, they weren't there. They needed two fill-ins. Jay and I went. And when Jay came out, 
he had a bundle about as big as this can of sage. Yeah. And so a year he's done this. I've never said a word to him except for the first time. And and then that day I said, whoa, he's getting ashes all over the place. I'm like, Jay, what's up? And uh, he said, we need extra today. Wow. So we go do the thing. He gets killed, literally takes his last breath in my arms. And, oh. and, and, but you can kind of get this is I'm not even really sad about that because that was an honor to be there with him. And, and, you know, that, I mean, that was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life was to be there for, he wanted to die a warrior's death and he died with a red hot machine gun in his hand. Wow. So we go back to the house and my brother who was on our team too. And, and the whole time we were in this gunfight, I'm thinking, man, I'm glad my brother's not here. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like the shit gets in your yeah. head. Um, but we go back and my brother comes to me and says, Hey man, you need to go up to Jay's room. And Jay's left me a note. He said, dear James, you know, uh, he had a, a tomahawk that his grandfather made. He said, please give my, uh, t- the tomahawk to my, my son, give this flute to my daughter. Da, 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 da. And so, wow. so I sit here and I'll, and I'll tell you right now that dude knew he was going to die and he went anyway. Wow. And, and it bothers me that nobody knows his name. Wow. Amazing. What a guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like I said, like I, I hate I hate that he's dead and all that stuff, but he he wanted to die a warrior's death and 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 he did, man. He died with a fucking red red hot fucking RPK in his hand. Yeah, okay. Jeez. So you guys were running RPKs. He was, yeah. I had M four that, that day. Got we, it. we had we had everything, you know how it was over there. Armed to the teeth. Gold AKs and AT fours and yeah. All kinds of weird, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, stuff. And that and that day was it a typical? So it was not typical in that you were augmenting the Brit side of the house. Yeah, that was the only real odd side of it. The uh, we had an airport run to pick up a client that was flying in, uh, you know, and uh, and then um, uh, and for those that don't know, Route Irish was really from the so the green zone, which was the. Uh, the coalition provisional authority, whatever they call it, was down there. A bunch of other things, kind of in an armored, or not armored, in a uh, enclosed area. And it was uh, you had to make a run from Baghdad International Airport to get to and from between like, two forts, like, yeah, essentially know, Fort Apache with almost. Apaches in yeah. the middle. Yeah, that's it. How long was that run? I, for, I forget. <laughs> it, uh, it took forever. <laughs> I guess it could. <laughs> it, I mean. I, I forget how four like, miles. Yeah, I, I something mean, like that. It, it, it six seven somewhere in there. It, it, it wasn't. I, I someone will check us. I, I went in a, I went on a hundred times, but I've never worried about the odometer. Yeah, no, I never did either. That's why I can't remember <laughs> right now. So it wasn't too far. So it wasn't like a yeah yeah. It wasn't like a fifty mile journey for yeah, anybody right. that's listening. It was like it was a run, but it wasn't also wasn't like right next door. Like right. it was right that like intermediate type area where you had to be serious about getting from point A to point B. And it was urban and open, a mix of. Close buildings and open fields and you know freeways, underpasses, like everything that you could you can imagine yeah. between two, two just points. any normal city except people are trying to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and on that day, did you have armored vehicles or were they uh, the thin skin or what? We you... we had one armored, two thin. Okay. And then how did you guys run those? Like was it uh, did armor lead the way? Uh, no, no. Armor was in the middle. That was going to be the cl- the client was going to ride in the armor. Okay. And he was going to be in the middle car. And then you guys are just armed to the teeth. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, and then, so three vehicles? Yep. Mm-hmm. Three vehicles. Um, and then when the ambush happened that day, 
Was it uh, in traffic or was it? So uh, a bomb had gone off and you know how big army would close the road, big guns pointed, stay back, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. So we, uh, we were in traffic and our team leader, uh, English guy got out, said he was in the SAS, turns out. He wasn't. You, you probably never ran across that before. Somebody with English <laughs> accent saying they were in the SAS. I've never met somebody that wasn't in the SAS. <laughs> that had English accent. That's why on those HK HK posters from Princess Gate. Oh, I have one in the garage. Well, that's why they're so they're on the balcony because that building is completely full of fucking SAS. <laughs> Sorry, there's, there's no more room inside. <laughs> no more room. I get it. Anyway, they even used it in Ronin. But yeah, you know, in the movie, yeah, yeah. But he would uh, he'd get out of the car and his. Iraqi garb and shoot his MP5. Yeah, MP5 up in the air. He was living out his SAS fantasies and shoot that up in the air trying to get cars around. And we just kept moving through traffic until we were out front. Uh, there was a, uh, a, f- a frontage road. The world's longest road is the frontage road. I don't know if you've ever seen frontage road, but it's in every city you go to. Yes. Anyway, there was I a, always end up on that one. <laughs> there was a frontage road with a guy on the phone looking at us. And I'm like, you know, that dude is a, a, what the Brits called a dicker, a lookout, a snitch. You know, I, that dude over there is probably plotting on us. Sure enough, he was. So you see him. You're yeah. still kind of in traffic, but you're moving slowly. We, we have moved up and stopped. Basically, um, for anybody watching, the first rule of a motorcade or a convoy is it doesn't stop moving. Like, right? Is it, did they tell you guys that don't stop moving? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just the, trying to picture how you could keep moving in that kind of traffic because okay. I'm picturing that well, part well, the of the thing, road in the my thing head. is we could have done a U-turn and went back to the green zone and waited for the blockage to be clear. Got it. But they wanted to go to the PX. Uh, and, they, and, they, and they wouldn't have time. They were, they were going early to pick up the client. They wouldn't have time if they, if they left. So anyway, we're on the X 29 minutes. Oh, and, and Are you in the lead vehicle? Yeah, I'm up front. And I'm driving. And we're in a thin-skinned uh, manual shift. And, um, so when it was over, I wrote a report. I'm a cop, right? Incident report. That's what's in my brain. 29 pages. And, um, and, uh, so the, uh, what I had done is put the car in neutral. We'd practiced in all the armored cars, did all of our stuff. And this is, this is on me 100%. When it, when it started going off, I punched the gas, the car didn't go. And, uh, uh, and I, I said, bail out, bail out. And we went into, went into motion there. And so, so I feel bad that I screwed that up for sure. I, I mean, I, I, like I, I, I screwed that up. So we, we get out, I go to the back, I start shooting. Uh, another guy that says he's in the SAS comes out with a two, four, nine. It says move. So I begin doing a bound and he starts shooting. And I don't know this till later, but the, the, Nutsack falls off the the gun, and uh, he just throws it in the back seat, and gets the M4 out oh, instead of, instead of fixing the belt fed. And so I'm over there. I make one bound. I'm looking around to the center. Are you going to the yeah. center? Because mm-hmm. that yeah. was SOP median. median. Yeah. So that was the SOP. Something happens like that. Well, you guys... away from the yeah. gunfire. And uh, so I'm there. I talk trying to talk to the guys. You know deploy a smoke i go back i see that jay hunts hurt so i go back to car three the armored car they guys the guys in there they just stayed inside the armored car the shooting was over uh so i go back to car three where where jay was hurt and by the time i get there the driver of that car gets his brain brains blown out from a pkm and uh and so when i get back there it's a mess 
So, so Jay was in that rear car. He was outside the car shooting Man. and, um, and then crawled in the back seat cause he thought we were leaving. And, uh, then the, the, uh, driver took around through his ear. Oh yeah. And, uh, anybody else in that vehicle? Yeah. The team leader was in there and he didn't, he got, he got shot in his MP5 bag. MP5 living out there. SAS fantasies over there. Interesting. Um, how far was the contact, you know? Yeah. 75 yards. Dang. And how many do you think there were? Was it, were they, were they it was, in it vehicles was, or did it, they move in or how did it, that work? It was in a, it was a white suburban. They drove down the frontage road, did a U-turn oh, and started coming back. And I, I don't, I didn't see it. I was looking, you know, I'm on the left side of the car, so I'm looking this way. And so it starts coming in and, uh, and I don't even know exactly we're in the urban settings, the bounce on echoing and stuff. Oh, and, yeah. and I can hear, I can hear the rounds, you know, so I can kind of, my brain goes, Oh, it's coming from this direction. And uh, so that's, you know, so is that how you, you first became aware that there was a contact was the sound? Yeah. 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 For, the first thing I heard was the PKM. Yeah. And, and you know, they're, they're distinctive. And I knew we didn't have a PKM with us that day. The, the team leader had kept getting out shooting his MP5. So I was, I mean, I'm, Right. I mean, you're kind of programmed to hear gunfire sporadically yeah, yeah. in Iraq anyway, but uh, but uh, I was like, oh, no, that one's different. And then it started hitting the car, you know, that distinctive, you know, ching, 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 hitting the car. And uh, and I didn't know uh, the, uh, the, the uh, two IC in my car, passenger seat, he started shooting. He had like a little seven-inch AR, and he started shooting. And uh, then, you know, I'm hitting the gas, and then that's when, you know, I roll out and and, uh, and I don't even know where it's coming from or yeah, what's yeah. going it's so on. So confusing. People don't yeah. realize when you watch a movie just how confusing yeah. it is when bullets start flying, especially when there's echoes. Yeah, it's it's easy for folks to to point at any, you know, because when you watch any kind of combat footage, dudes fall down and they you know they hit their head and they drop this. Even and, the best in the world. Yeah, and uh, so the thing is, is like I wrote down everything that people make fun of me for. I wrote in my own report, and they wouldn't even have known the things they're making fun of me for if I wouldn't have fessed up because I thought what we were supposed to do, I'd been on a SWAT team. We do something and everybody says, how could we do this better? Exactly. That's what I thought. So there was only two reports, my report and the company report. And, oh, if, you wow. read, and if you read the company report, it doesn't fault me for anything. Uh, but I didn't realize I was the only American left alive. I didn't realize that I would soon be uh-huh. the target of a uh, character assassination. Jeez, actually, I want to get to that, actually. But so after, how did that end? Were they shooting from the vehicle, yeah. from that white Suburban? Yeah. So they shot? Drive-by. Drive-by. Where was it set up, do you know? Was it like, a, was it from the back? Or it was, was it they window? were shooting the PKM out the uh, the passenger side rear door, not okay. the rear end, the second door. Got it. Okay. Back and seat so, door. So they dumped it and yeah. did what they could, and then they just got out of there. They, I, and... People might think that sounds ghoulish. I'm talking to a combat veteran, so you understand. It's fucking, they're pretty good shooters, man. They hit every fucking car. They killed three people on the move driving across there. Jeez. Like, they, I mean, they, they, they rake those cars like fucking pros. Sorry, I'm cussing, man. I, I, I don't know. So they can bleep that out. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but, um, That's, so, so at this point, you run to that rear vehicle. Is that about the time they they start taking off? They finish dumping and get out of there. How yeah, long was the contact? I, I, uh, seconds. Now, th- then, so if you, anybody that's listening to the video, they can hear me shoot. So then a car is 
coming through and i think here we go and so i shoot those guys and and then we were doing first aid on jay and stuff then the then big army shows up and uh and at first i thought man i hope i just didn't kill some people that were late for the airport or something went back there no they had ak's and yeah yeah got it so so at this point big army showing up yeah. doing doing uh medical yeah. side of the house yeah our team leader who was also our medic uh didn't have any quick clot or tourniquets on it no tourniquets and so jay got hit twice but uh descending um you know your descending aorta turns into your femoral arteries <sighs> and he got hit like at that junction <sighs> and i don't know if quick clot would have saved his life yeah. but you know no tourniquets interesting um so that all happens, and now you have big army. Did you call it uh, medevac, casavac, or is it faster to drive guys, or how did that work? The, uh, um, the big army that was blocking the road saw my smoke. You know, they're used to gunfire, too. And somebody said they looked through binoculars. I actually got an email about six months ago from one of those guys. You know, wow. like, hey, yeah, you're amazing. the guy, you know, like, because we, we didn't swap cards right, right. or anything. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but uh, they saw us, and... They came down like with what the fuck's going on down here, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, then that's when they helped us medevac the guys out in okay. home. Uh, they had a medical Humvee, okay, and took the guys and you know we followed them out. Here's kind of the ironic thing: two soft, all three cars shot. The two soft skins, soft skin cars were still mobile. The uh, uh, the armored car got shot, but round skipped off the asphalt and punctured the gas tank and the transmission. No kidding. So the armored car down hard, down hard. I just, uh, you know, you, you kind of yeah, yeah. get that weird shit that happens. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So we drove the soft cars full of blood, you know, dang Did you guys go to buy up at yeah, that point to buy up? And then after that, then we drove back in the same cars. Oh man. Ah, so while while everybody was in the hospital, I was trying to. I mean, there. I'm not trying to to sound ghoulish or anything, but there was, you know, puddles of femoral blood in the in the third car. You know, so trying to get that, you know, because because guys don't want to come back from their friends being dead and you know and sitting their blood. You know, so it's crazy. You know, dang. So at this point, do you know you know Jay didn't make it. Yeah, and the other two guys you knew also. Well, all I, I knew on the scene that that uh, we called him Camel. Uh, he was an Australian guy. He was fucking good, dude. I mean, I didn't like all those Brits, uh, but especially the English. But uh, there's some Irish and Welsh guys I liked, and the, the Australians were solid. Yeah, we worked with a couple of Aussies. They were fucking solid. Uh, but um, but uh, but we knew Camel was dead. The scene. We knew Jay was dead when we got, he was doing the death snore and stuff. So we, I thought he was, I'd seen that a bunch as a cop, you know, so I kind of figured he was on his way out uh, right there at the scene. And, um, and then uh, Steph uh, was, again, no, he was shot in his leg. He, he could have been fixed with a quick clot and a tourniquet. He could have been alive, but he, uh, he bled out eventually. Man, so those guys are now at Biop. You drive both thin skins yeah. back to yeah. the green zone. Yeah. And then what happens when you get to the green zone? Well, it's just like everybody, you know, word's gotten back. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we have a sister team. Um, and so everybody's like, hey, are you guys okay? You know, and I'm standing there, you know, like, uh, 
like you get it. You're like, it's all happened. And, and now I'm standing here and people are handing me a fucking Gatorade. And I'm like, just kind of going like, what? I, I, I won't use the word shock. I think that word gets thrown around too much, but I'm sitting there kind of in the daze. Yeah. And, you know, my brother comes to me and says that to go look at Jay stuff. And then my brother says, hey, man, you got to go change your clothes. Come on. Because I was covered in blood. Yeah. You know, my brother was just like, hey, come on, let's go take take this off. Yeah. You know. Dang. So you do that. And at what point do, do things start to kind of, I don't know. Did you stay there? How long did you have left in country at that point? So I stayed to the end of the contract. You stayed was, after that? Yeah. Yeah. Until uh, June something june 15 or something okay so you have another another month and a half to be there doing the same thing running that same route cheating mm-hmm. the same vehicles uh yeah man just fix them up if they had anything we had other vehicles and... besides those three but yeah dang okay so you did that and at what point in there to do you start to feel like that heat for for uh or get blamed for certain things uh within uh, within 24 hours oh. yeah i was the i was the least senior person on the team on the uh, on that team i had no rank or anything and i was a replacement you know a substitute uh and uh somehow responsible for everything that happened jeez <laughs> crazy but you finish out that then you come back to the states and yep and before i ask more about that i'll just say that uh you know what i've always respected about you so much is that you have passed on these lessons. Like you have never tried to shy away from anything. Like right away when we first met, like we talked about this and, and I was like, dang, that is, I mean, I had so much respect for you telling me this story and then like trying to pass along those lessons, take responsibility, uh, you know, for, you know, whatever. Um, but like pass those on to people. And that was always like, man, that, like you always had so much respect for me for uh, that. I appreciate it. It's uh, <laughs> again, that's one of those things where you know, it, it's it's when I when I talk about it, I want it to be out of reverence yeah. and respect, and it, and I, I'm so far past trying to stick up for myself. It's mm-hmm. not even funny. I, I I just keep going back to uh to, to the people that want to talk bad about me. I said, if you really knew the story, you'd know the names of the three guys that died. Yeah, got it. Man. So you get back and are you planning on going, doing another contract or are you kind of like, okay, this I'm done with this. No, well, the, the, see, uh, the plans change. No, that was the contract that that's, that's all I had, had agreed to do. And as a matter of fact, after, after the thing, they were like, are you going to stay? I'm like, yeah, I'm finished, finished my contract. And, um, so, um, um, I'm, I mean, I've, I've done some other stuff in Central and South America. Nothing that nothing that exciting. It's never that exciting. <laughs> Central South yeah. America, Bogota and the places, but but nothing nothing like Iraq. Nothing yeah. like that. And uh, but the the year I was gone, uh, the business was still in motion. You know, you had some instructors working for you yeah, at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the year I was gone, it made more money than we had more students than the year before. Nice. And uh, so I came back to. A, a business that was making more money, you know, and they were like, maybe you should stay gone because we made more money. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, uh, so in, uh, so, so in, so in 2005, a, a couple, uh, a, a few weeks after I got back, we did our first, uh, high risk civilian contractor class. And, uh, so one of my teammates from Iraq, uh, Jay Gibson, a former SOTG Marine, 
which is a good guy to have around um, uh, for a Marine. Uh, but uh, no, I'm just joking. I love that guy. But but um, he he and I built the the, the high risk civilian contractor class to train folks that were going over because there was no mechanism for people to get training. Yeah. Like Blackwater had an academy, but it was more like a police academy, like, you know, passing a score for DSS or okay. whatever. And, and we, we taught the fighting part and, and it's funny. We, we still do. It's still a very popular class, even though contracting is not very popular. People still see it and they go, that looks fun. Yeah. And did you take, what lessons did you take back and incorporate into tactical response from your time downrange? Well, on on uh, as far as like my staff um, is everybody gets an equal seat at the table. I I, I I ultimately keep veto power. I'm the boss, but I try not to to do it. Uh, one of my newest instructors is in here, and so if there's a curriculum change proposed, if it if it seems okay, well, I'll say okay. Let's let's beta test it for a while. And, um, if it works out, then we change the formal curriculum. But the rule is when you start teaching the class at 8 a.m., teach what's on the paper. Got it. Period. Yeah. And, and then when the, when the class is over, it's in flux until the next time it's 8 a.m. and you got to teach a class. And so over the years, the guys that have been there have been allowed to make it better with their input. And so everybody owns it. Okay. They're not teaching my curriculum. They're teaching our curriculum. They have ownership of it. Right. So that's one of the things that, that like it, 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 people use that word team a lot. Like it kind of throw that teamwork stuff out, but, but we really do have a team. We, we, we really do have a group of guys that care about each other. If one of us having a bad day, he doesn't even have to say anything. The other ones pick up the slack, you know, like we got a good group of guys. Yeah. And that's uh and that, is the high risk contractor course uh, is that your most popular or your most aspired to yeah, take type the, thing? Yeah, it's it's kind of you know our most popular classes are fighting pistol and fighting rifle. I mean, like I could I could I could make more than a living for myself just teaching pistol fighting okay. pistol. Um, but um, but those are the classes where you know you've known training junkies in your life. Yeah. They always look at that next thing, and so at our school, kind of like the top of the pyramid is the contractor classes and and we've had a bunch of you know guys come from different military sectors and stuff and uh i'll tell you offline but there was a guy there that said that said i have everything in the military's disposal to train my guys and he said you guys are out here with some fucking fireworks doing a great job nice like, that's was, awesome <laughs> that's awesome yeah i've seen video of that course it looks it looks amazing the videos are the stuff that's pg enough to put on yeah i got it <laughs> yeah i figured i figured and then uh then you introduced me to uh to mark graney who actually who writes in the same genre that i do he has the gray man series he's a fantastic guy who took those classes he's taking those classes and you're in the front of i think all of his books, uh, like right away, it says like you're right there in the acknowledgments. He starts with the acknowledgments. I finish with them at the end, but he has them right in the front, and it has you right right in there each and every time. James Ager, yeah. Tactical Response. What, what a what a what a what a nice guy! And I, I was I was actually uh, very happy to connect you guys. That's so cool. Well, the thing is, you know, that in the tactical world, we can connect each. Oh, I know the guy yeah, that you right. know this guy. But in the book world, I was like, man, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know too many authors. <laughs> Nice. He was, he's been so fantastic to me and he writes such a great series and he's yeah. such, a, such a good dude. So, um, so thank you for doing that. Oh yeah. That's appreciated. And, and, and he is, he is, a, he's a wonderful guy. Yeah. Really, yeah. really nice guy. Oh yeah. I think his stuff's coming to, uh, 
to Netflix or something here fairly soon. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Finally, Gray Man coming to coming to uh, some sort of a series, which would be great. Or, or it's a movie. It's a movie for Netflix, I think. That's okay. how, it, how it is. But um, So from then on, it's been full-time yeah. tactical response. Yeah. I mean, more than full-time. You know, if you, if you own your own business, you know, it's like... <laughs> Now I know. People think writing is just writing and that's yeah. it. And I thought so too nope. until I right before the first novel published and I realized, hey, this is a business like any other and you have to do all the same things you'd have to do for any business and yeah. all that marketing and branding and co-branding and budgets and, and everything you have to do to support that product. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, now I get it. But uh, so you have a lot to do running a business, not just showing up at the range right. and, and well, uh, you know, teaching people that class. Like there's a lot else that goes into this. Well, I mean, just like today I've been, before we even took off this morning, I'm making Instagram videos nice. yep. and all that stuff. It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be constant, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you were kind of one of the first, you know, I wasn't really into the, I wasn't at all into social media side of the house. You know, I, uh, YouTube, I remember when someone first told me about YouTube and I was like, what? Um, but you were one of the first people to really capitalize or leverage or recognize the power of that for this industry. Well, what's what's funny, I've always liked technology, but I got my start. And one of the things I did back in the day was I was a gun writer. I wrote, I've written, you know, near 200 gun magazine articles. And so I saw this this medium coming no matter what, it's on the way, and I decided to embrace it. Yeah, you know, and so I started uh, doing things, you know, on, on the net in '98. Uh, you know, luckily I was in Tennessee, and that's where Al Gore's from, and he invented the internet. So, <laughs> it helps. So you're welcome. So we had <laughs> early, early. Yeah, yeah you're early in. Uh, but uh, but that's that's kind of, you know, I, I I just saw it as this this way for me to find more people I could connect with, and not just you know monetarily, but just politically or tactically or you know whatever. You yeah, know, there's just you know, you saw an opportunity there. Yeah. It seems like, and mm-hmm. uh, from the outside, you know, looking in, it looked like you were one of the first to really recognize it and really recognize its power. Right. And uh, when you told me, gave me a little education in that, uh, you know, good reviews, bad reviews, that that engagement piece and that that talk and that that is really what you what you're after and what you want. Uh, you know, it was all that was all new to me, but you recognize that. So. When you say you built your business on, uh, how did you put it? Hate. Uh, hate and discontent. <laughs> um, uh, did you recognize that part right away? Yeah. I, like literally, like I bought a motorcycle. I call it the hater cycle. I go, <laughs> and, and like, I'll, 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 I'll get a whiteboard out and I'll go, like I've done informal surveys and like 50% of the people that come train with me, I say, I, I ask everybody, how'd you hear about me? Oh, YouTube videos. Okay. How'd you hear about the YouTube video? And well, there's a guy that posted a thing, said you were a butthole. And, <laughs> and that's and, how. And I went and watched the video and I thought, well, that wasn't so bad. And then I watched another one, I watched another one, I watched another one, here I am. So about 50% of my business, I mean literally down the middle, about 50% comes from um from from haters. And and so um I've got four full-time instructors, so that means two of them are employed. I've got two full-time admins, so that means one of them is employed, and I got a a mediocre media guy, and so we'll just we'll just leave him out of the equation. Uh, but uh, is he in this room? No, 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 okay. no, no. no. Uh, but um, but I mean, like it employs people. Like yeah. I, I can point directly to the impact that th- those people 
haters, yeah. they, they, they work harder than any employee I have and, and they don't want a penny for it. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Have you done things intentionally? To, oh yeah. yeah. Gosh, yes. So to like stir the pot. Oh yeah. Type stuff. Oh yeah. I, I do videos like 1911 suck and 40 caliber sucks. And, I remember the 1911s. Uh, wow, all, that was, all, that one was pretty popular. All that stuff. <laughs> all of it. Just like. Yeah. Interesting. Do you still have people drop their expensive pistols? On oh the yeah. Nice. And, uh, and then those just come to you, or do you have a plan? Like, oh, or do you just take advantage of emerging opportunities? Yeah, and it, it, it's. It, I don't get a lot of my uh, my philosophy off bumper stickers, but I saw a bumper sticker for a martial arts studio that said, "The more I train, the luckier I am." And so I consider every day online is training, and the more I'm online, and the more I understand how it works, the more I can see uh, opportunity in, in a situation. Whereas somebody that wasn't online much would not see that same opportunity. Right. Oh man. It's, it's, that, that part is fascinating to me because it's, it's no, no uh, it shouldn't be because you do everything you can to exploit the battlefield. Yeah. I do that. It's just a different, it's a different deal. Yeah. No, exactly. It's looking for emerging opportunities, capitalizing on momentum, looking for gaps uh, and how to exploit those gaps. Like same thing. I do it on the written page now. Uh, when I'm solving those problems, it's not, you know, if I screw something up on the written page, it's not as dire as screwing it up out there on the battlefield, but it's the same type of thing. I'm just doing it here in a fictional sense on the, in the narrative. But, uh, you know, also when I started down this path, you're like, you recommended that book to me, The Subtle Art of, uh, of Not, not Giving It Out. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't read it, but, uh, but I think of well, you every time I see it, because it's in all the airports as you're walking through well, every Hudson well, News. Well, the, the, the reason is... Um, and like, um, there's, you know, it's four big personality types, this Myers-Briggs thing, but, um, but you, um, are, are very compassionate and people that are very compassionate don't like to get their feelings hurt. <laughs> like nobody really likes to, yeah. but, but people that are compassionate really don't. And, and so, and I want to make sure people understand there's nothing unmanly or you know, about that, you know, it doesn't mean, it just means you care what people think. And I told him earlier, cause you were like, oh, I just don't want to make anybody mad. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I worry about those people. And so to those, <laughs> to those people, the blues, I always recommend that book, you yeah. know? So oh, yeah, you saw me heading down this path and you know, any, anybody that's now puts themselves out there in any sort of a public way, you're just a, a target for you, everybody that's sitting I mean, down, it, sitting it, down here or and, and, up there. And the more you try to make people happy, the more they hate you for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be me, yep. uh, which all, which might also make it hurt worse when someone, cause you're you, you're not trying to be something else. Right. You're actually yourself. And every, every once in a while they say something, go, oh, that one kind of hurt a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, people always think like seals, you know, they think of that, like, you know, you're so thick skinned and tough and everything, but you know, you read a bad review or somebody says, something nasty and it's kind of like oh that that hurts that was unnecessary yeah <laughs> he really does like honey in his coffee <laughs> i do i do have honey and cream every morning i like a little sweet <laughs> i was trying to humanize my character by bringing that to the, to the uh, novels as no, well I, you had told me that before i think i found that out at uh, billy's wedding but yeah. i you, uh, somehow i knew that so when it came out in the book i was like <laughs> yeah, that's the other part of it. Like, there's so much of me in these novels that when someone, uh, you know, criticizes them or something like that, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, I made it up. It's 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 fictional, 
but the emotions and the, yeah. the feelings that the protagonist well, experiences come from well, I've just real stuff. I've told everybody you base it on me. So. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> just the skills, just the just the martial <laughs> skills of the protagonist, of course. But no, all all that stuff that you uh, you know you've done for me and my family over the years. I mean, I can never thank you enough for that. And then, uh, trying to inoculate me a little bit before I stepped into this space, uh, being out there on these social platforms and everything else. And uh, it's a, it's all sincerely appreciated. Well, the, sure. th- the thing is, is we should help people, and uh, and I, I do believe in you know karma, whatever whatever you want to call it, whatever people believe. But there, I think there's something for doing good deeds, and I I feel the best when somebody comes up to me and goes, "Hey, James, I just want to tell you thanks. You did that thing for me." And I go, "What thing?" And I don't remember it. That's awesome. That, that that's the that's the kind of the zen I'm looking for is to is to do something and. Like literally, forget I did it for that's somebody. So, cool. so when, whenever I can pull that off, I go, okay, I'm getting, I'm starting to get this right. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, that's similar to how the the Chris Pratt Amazon series came about. And that uh, actually, I was at Thunder Ranch, and it was October November timeframe of 2017. So no books are out yet. I have no social media. I have nothing. And I got a call from a buddy I hadn't heard from in years. And first he says, "Hey, do you remember me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Jared, how's it going, buddy?" And He's like, hey, I always wanted to call you and thank you for what you did for me in the SEAL teams. And like you, I was like, what did I do for him? Did I, did I bail him out of jail? What did I do? I don't know. And uh, he's like, hey, man, you were the only person that sat me down in your office as I was getting out, talked to me about transition. You introduced me to people in the private sector. And, uh, and I never forgot that. And I always wanted to thank you. And I was like, no problem. Absolutely. But in my head, I didn't even remember doing it. And, uh, and he says, hey, I heard you have a book coming out. And I said, yeah, it's coming out in a few months. I have these galley copies, which are early copies I can send you one. And he said, yeah, I'd like that, but I'd like to give one to a friend of mine. And I said, yeah, no problem. Who's that? And he said, Chris Pratt. And you said, and who's like, Chris Pratt? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I knew who Chris Pratt was because I'd pictured him playing in, in the role as I was writing. And so that's how, the, how that crazy thing came about. And uh, he, sure enough, he gives it to Chris. Chris reads it. Next thing you know, they uh, option it for, uh, for a film or a series, which is, which is crazy. But that's a similar thing. That's how it all, all came about. So right. yeah, I try to do the same thing for you know, friends that, uh, that are getting out, transitioning, good people, doing good things. And I try to do what I can for them and their business and their families and uh, just like you do. So I, I sincerely uh, appreciate all that, man. Oh, that's good. That, if, if more people would, would live their life like that, wouldn't it be a, such a nicer world? I think so. I think so. And I, I do, th- you know, I try not to spend too much time thinking or trying to diagnose why people on social media, one, either act so tough and are so mean from behind their keyboards. I try not to spend too much time thinking about it, but if you're involved in that world and you're posting things and you're responding to people and you're engaging, and for me, I like to thank everybody because I wouldn't be able to do what I love doing, which is writing, without people buying mm-hmm. the novel. So I'm, I try to get back to everybody that sends an email, that responds to my newsletter, everybody that reaches out on social media. I try to get back to everybody because I sincerely appreciate uh, them allowing me to do what I love. But man, some people are just really mean. Dude, um, it's crazy. The, um, author of Conan. Uh, but he's got one of the, one of the quotes from a Conan book is a gentleman are far more discourteous than savages because a savage knows he can get his skull split. Oh yes. It's right here. Actually. I put it in, uh, <laughs> I put it in the novel. So but, I put it in, uh, I put it in before the third part. I think, uh, it's in here. So I use that quote and I absolutely love it. I think actually I saw you post it or say it once and I texted you 
and uh, or emailed you, and I was like, hey, I just put that in the book the other day. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's right. It's in well, here somewhere. That kind of sums up how I feel. Is that, I that these people think that that, that somebody's not going to knock on their door and punch them in their nose? I know. <laughs> you got to be careful who you're talking to. Yeah. I, someone, <laughs> someone someday is not going to uh, take it. Uh, but yeah, I try to you know treat people. Yeah, here it is, right here, right before part two, the stock. Civilized men are more discourteous than savages because they know they can be impolite oh, yeah. without having their skull split as a general thing. Civilized Robert man. E. Howard. Tower yeah, Robert Howard. Yeah. That's where it came from. But uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, yeah, that is, uh, that resonated with me mm-hmm. <laughs> because apparently several, several of us. Yeah. No, it, cause it, I mean, you, and that's why I think the books resonate with people because with that theme of revenge, like you can't go out and just whack somebody because they're discourteous, even if they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you'll go to jail and you might go to death penalty or whatever. Uh, but in a movie or in a book, someone can get away with it and it makes yeah. you feel yeah. better inside. <laughs> yeah. So I yep. think there's something there that resonates and, uh, which is why I use that as the theme for the, all the books, but really for that first one in particular. Well, I have a, I have a hardback book. I think I've sent you a picture of it before, but I've got a hardback journal. Uh-huh. It says people to kill. Oh right? yeah. I love and, that. And, and so my, great. Well, it's, it's funny because I was like, he stole my idea. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but, uh, I have a, a list of people I'm going to kill. Should I contract a terminal illness? Yep. And it's in, it's in order of importance. However, nice. if there's a target of opportunity geographically on the I way. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. That's how I had to write. That's how I did the book. <laughs> you might be 15 on the list, but if I'm passing through Denver, you know, you might, you might move up a couple of positions. I totally understand. Oh, man. And so what, uh, future wise, what do you have, uh, on the books? Going Man, forward. Well, as as we film this today, I turned fifty. Oh, happy birthday! Today you turned fifty. Yeah, it's your birthday. Yeah, today. Well, we have steaks out there, and it, so we're going like, to grill per- these up in a little perfect, bit. Perfect, perfect birthday party. Awesome. But uh, so I uh, uh, just hit a, a goal I've had for last last three years of squ- of squats, so three hundred twenty five pounds, uh, three sets of five, oh. and um, and so I feel good being 50 and strong and I'm fatter than I want to be, but I had to be fat to get strong. So that's one of those things. Uh, but, uh, but I want to do a four Oh five squat for my 50th birthday. That's when I give myself, you know, one rep. And I, I was going to try to do it today, but I've been on the road for yeah, a few yeah. weeks and I couldn't work up to it, but that's what I'm going to do for my 50th birthday to celebrate my 50th birthday. But, um, in, in future in general, you know, I've got so many grandkids now. I just, I just call them by number. And so, so, <laughs> so, so six was just born and, oh, wow. and, uh, and we've got the two adopted ones and, uh, that's a, that's, that should be its own YouTube channel. Me taking the, <laughs> because they're black and me taking the boy to the black barbershop oh, and wow. stuff. Cause the first time I took him there, they, they, the music stopped. They're oh, like, they look at, they look at him like, you all right, little man. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it should be a reality show. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so the, the future is keep teaching so I can keep supporting my family and, and spend time with my grandkids. And, and, um, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm healthy. I, you know, I get, I just had a full top to bottom checkup because you're 50. They check everything. Yeah. It's not far behind you. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I'm, I'm good. Everything's good. Awesome. I, I'm, a, you know, I'm not, I've never have been, but I'm not on any kind of meds or anything. So I, I feel good going into my fifties and, nice. and I just plan on, you know, trying to keep up with Clint Smith. There you go. He's, he's tough, man. He's out there getting after it every single day. All these different screws holding him together. Man, you can't hold that guy back. Dude. Yeah. Amazing. And then, uh, before we go out there and start grilling steaks, what, um, 
so people know where can they they find you well here's the thing um Whenever I do these, it always gets to a point where somebody asks that question, and this is my standard answer. If they are too stupid to find me, <laughs> I don't want their money. I get it. Believe me. I have so many examples, but I don't want to be so, mean to so, anyone so, by so, saying them. So I never, I never give that out. Like so, if they're motivated enough from, from- They can use the Google and put in yeah, James Yeager, yeah. dash response, and find you on all these platforms. Yeah. And then- it's fighting pistol, fighting rifle. Is there a shotgun? And yeah. There, and there, so there's we we got all of, all of that stuff. Nice force on force and medical classes and bolt rifle classes and all that all that all that stuff. You got it all. That's awesome. How many fighting pistols are there now? Is there like uh, there's a there's a there's a two day fighting pistol, a two day advanced fighting pistol, and then you can take them consecutively uh-huh. and in a five day version of it called way of the pistol. Nice. That's the one I was going to ask you about. So I always love that that name. That was a good one. You had it before, I think. Before it got cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had that early. I remember. I was like, man, that's awesome. It's a great title of a book. Yeah, I think so. You know, what do you have you thought about doing that? Uh, I'm I'm 75,000 words into a, a you know, martial book, not a fiction, you know, just about training yeah. and shooting and stuff. Oh, awesome. I got five chapters. Mindset, tactics, skill, gear, training. Nice. Awesome. Is there a uh, an end date goal type thing for that, or is that just a project? Yeah, 20, 2017. I'm going to be finished with that. <laughs> <laughs> How's that coming? Not there yet. Oh, man. So, so how, how many words does a book have? It's about 100,000 for a book like this. This one is 114. This one was about 100 and yeah, uh, about 112. Yep, and then that one's always 120. Okay, so, so. I, have, I, have a, I have a real book in the works then. Yep, you're on your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So between like 100 and 120 okay. is, uh, is what that is. And there's some other ones like those, uh, like mysteries are typically about 80. Mm-hmm. And then uh, those romance ones are about 60. And then there's techno thrillers, which are up there, can be about 200. So those ones are the real thick ones like the Tom Clancy's back in the day. So I actually have a book uh, on, on Amazon about contracting because when I came back, I was like, man, there's so much crap that people need to know they don't know. I thought I'll write something just to kind of a more of a thick pamphlet than anything. Yeah. You know, somebody else will write something, you know, like comprehensive. <laughs> Nobody ever has. <laughs> So there's, so there's really literally only on one book on contracting on Amazon and it's mine. No kidding. Awesome. I'm not, I don't even know that. It's, it's just a, it's not even about like the cool part. It's about what to do to get ready to go. What kind of gear you need to take, what you're going to use in the middle East, uh, how to keep your money accountants and taxes. And it's nice. all the, it's all the, it's nothing about the cool part of the job. Got it. It's all the stuff that like keeps you, you know, getting your immunizations and yeah, yeah. the stuff people are going to screw up and not do because they're too they're, they've got this part down, but now they need to figure out oh, well, do I need an LLC well, or an S Well, the last thing I'll say about it is uh, is people are always getting you know fired off contracts or contracts ending. So around the green zone, there's always some dude walking up like, hey, you guys looking for anybody? You know, a no lot of times a lot of times people are, and um, and they'd always say the same thing, man, I, I can shoot, and I'd be like, bro, everybody can shoot. Can you make the internet work? Can you cook? Do you know how to uh, change yeah. a tire? Like, what, what is your secondary skill right. that makes you valuable? You your life skills. Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. Fucking wow. brains don't have any life skills. <laughs> <laughs> they, can, they, can, they know how to shoot and open MREs. There you go. It's just, hey, 
You know, it's, uh, some situations that's what counts. But uh, oh man, well I'm so glad we got to do this, yeah. and uh, I sincerely appreciate you, uh, yeah. you coming on and coming to the house. And, oh, that's great. Uh, it's amazing. I since it's, it's great. I've always wanted to meet my family. So, um, so I don't know really why you cool. live in the middle of the desert, but that's whatever. <laughs> I, I know it's everywhere else around here is desert. Like here is kind of still high desert, but we got a little little green. But uh, man, with everybody leaving because they were doing this, this is uh, what is this mid August ish, and man. People are leaving New York, LA, San Francisco, Sacramento, like Seattle, Portland, Dallas. They're coming here. Listen, we we've been driving through the Dakotas and everywhere. You can ask him. Houses being built everywhere. We were in mm-hmm. Deadwood, South Dakota. There's not a house you can buy. Wow. In and around Sturgis, it Rapid City, like all the prices are going through the roof. Everybody is mass migration away from large yep. cities. It's crazy. I dropped one of the kids off today at the, uh, uh, it's called the, Mar- anyway, it's a tennis thing down here. So we drove through the parking lot and I'm looking at like uh, New York, North Carolina. I saw Tennessee in there. Um, but so many different, Florida, Oregon, like every, all these different, half the parking lot at least mm-hmm. were out of state plates. Yep. Which is unusual. Bringing their COVID in with them. Bringing their COVID, bringing, they want to get their kids into schools. Cause I think all the parents are like, wait a sec, we're not opening up schools in California. Oh, like, guess where we're going? We're moving. If we were on the fence before or thinking about that vacation home, guess what? We're getting these kids into school and we're coming to Utah. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, that's a little I'd, crazy. I'd hate to be trying to sell a house in New York or California right now. Yeah. Here's a good place to be selling one right now. Things mm-hmm. are just flying off the market. Yep. It's crazy, but people are, people are realizing. That, uh, that they need to get out of those cities. And well, it's just insane right now. So if everybody comes here, we're going to have to start moving north, I think. I, well, hold on a second. They're going to leave after one winter. That's what everyone says. So we'll <laughs> maybe, see. Maybe not the New Yorkers. They might yeah. be robust about the winter, yeah. but, the, but the Tennessee, Florida, yeah, yeah. California. Georgia, people, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll have them just for a little bit then. Oh, geez. First time there's three feet of snow, they'll be like, what? Yeah. Well, that'll be good. It's getting a little packed here. But awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. And we're going to do a live thing on uh, the YouTube. The YouTubes. So we're going to do that and cook some steaks. And uh, happy birthday, man. (laughs) All right. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. All right. Glad to be here. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. Hope I find the video of that podcast because I will then re-release this with audio and video. Until then, you can follow Tactical Response on Instagram. You can follow MFCEO Yeager on Instagram. Be sure to check out tacticalresponse.com and follow Tactical Response on their YouTube channel. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. You can go to officialjackcar.com to find the blog, find out more about the books, and link to the merch at jackcarusa.com. You can also pre-order my next novel, In the Blood, which is coming in 2022. James, thanks so much for stopping by and for being on this podcast. Sincerely appreciate you taking the time, my friend. To everybody else, get on the range with Tactical Response as soon as you can. Take care out there. Be safe, stay strong. Keep fighting. In case you missed it on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original. 
Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot. Like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you, do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.